this is Allie, and you're listening to another episode of the Leading Rain podcast. Every week, Noah and I dive into some aspect of the horse industry. We don't shy away from difficult topics, and we love to share all the feel-good stories. We want you to show up to this and laugh a little, but learn a lot. We're so excited to share this with you, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Leading Rain. Today, I am just going to address a couple of questions that we've gotten a lot, and it's just surrounding how to get into the business, how to build out your business plan, or just generally kind of how to spearhead starting a business and what to take into consideration. And I think Being in a position, once you've been in the industry for a little while, you get to observe a lot of people either making moves and kind of changing their roles within the industry, just moving their businesses, or seeing people just start out. And I think as a whole, it can get a little messy for us in this industry because our hobbies, you know, they usually involve horses and it's passion project. And so I think sometimes we don't like to get down into the nitty gritty as much as we should. So the first thing I think that's the most important, we've written a a few business plans and gotten to not only have done them, but had to execute them. And so I think we do have a unique perspective on that. But the first thing is that everybody needs a business plan. Everybody needs a business plan. Every business needs a business plan. And this doesn't have to be a set in stone document that you, you know, 1000% need to execute but it definitely is your guide. And I think that you should just out of the gate, understand your business is not an exception. And it's really helpful to kind of get down into the nitty gritty and just get it done. So the first thing that we have always started with when we write our business plans is just identifying your core offering. For a lot of businesses like ours, we have multiple but you really need to identify what your offering is or your product, um, whatever that core thing is. And then you need to identify who and where your market is. So like who is going to be buying in, who's going to be your clientele, and where is this going to be? And if you're just starting out, obviously, that's going to be a much different situation than if you're already established or if you're moving businesses. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration. You know, a big thing is just kind of client behavior. What's the price point in the demographic? You know, are people really used to paying prices that you're used to receiving or charging? All of that good stuff, because it totally varies depending on where you're at, what you're doing, what you're offering, the facility you're at, all of these things. So this is the place to kind of brain dump all of this onto a document. Once we've kind of identified, you know, our offerings and and how we want to clearly define those and who the clientele is, we really start big. So we kind of look at our our end all goal and we, we sit down and we evaluate what is the ultimate dream and like, what does this business look like if it's operating the way we want it to operate? So we kind of start out with the big vision and I always think it's good to start with the positive and, and get really excited about what you're doing before you kind of start to peel back the layers and get granular. So once you've gotten that goal written out, you know what the offering is, you've defined that very clearly, you know who your clientele is, then you get to dive into the costs. And 
you know, now the business plans that we make are much more detailed than the ones we originally started out with. But when we, you know, go into write it, like get granular with your costs and you really got to define what those costs are going to be. So they're going to be really different for each role. So if you do own land and you do own a barn, those costs are going to look a lot different than if you're leasing your space. Both of those are going to look really different than if you're just trying to calculate in your freelance overhead. So understanding what your business is obviously plays a huge part into what your costs are going to be. But like I said, you really do want to get granular with those costs. So for us, like if you look at how we have ours broken down, we get down into the expected electric bill. We get down into the water bill, what our irrigation charges are for the year, you know, our property insurance, our vehicle insurance, our business insurance. We dive into payroll, the expected expenses that we're going to have in payroll, all the taxes that we're going to owe. So you really want to get down into the nitty gritty. You know, if you're owning a barn, you're going to go into feed, you're going to go into bedding, you're going to go into repairs and all your unexpected expenses. And I would say, without a doubt, and it kind of scales depending on on who you are and what you are, especially if you own property, buffer your expenses and make sure you give yourself a cushion, even when you're calculating that out. If you say, hey, like my electric bill is always $700 a month, put it in there as eight or $900 a month because you're never gonna complain that your bills are cheaper than what you've expected, but you're gonna be really struggling if every single expense is more expensive than you had projected. So really buffer those out. And then, you know, you do want to create that emergency fund and have, like I said, kind of that cushion or those buffers for those unexpected expenses, especially if you own the property or you're leasing property, depending on how that lease agreement looks like. I mean, horses are horses and they are hard on the equipment. So you know, you're always going to have a fence down or broken or a tractor that needs to be repaired or a truck that needs a new water pump. And those things happen. And I'll tell you what, after owning property and having a business and then being around people who have been in business three times as long as me, it happens at the absolute worst time. And then when that happens, your horse will get sick or something else will happen. So you want to make sure that you've cushioned all of your expenses. You've really given yourself a buffer there and you do have a pretty healthy emergency fund and that you've really gotten in and kind of calculated those operational expenses. And then what we do, and I think this is kind of down to personal preference, so we divided those expenses out to what was kind of a comfortable clientele for us. And so what that looked like was per stall. So we've just assigned a dollar value to the stalls with a bottom number of stalls that need to be filled monthly to meet our bottom line. And for each person, it's different, you know, how they structure, how they want their payments or their stuff to go with their clients. I mean, each each thing is unique. I've been involved in a lot of different ones where, you know, there's some professionals who charge flat rate. There's some professionals who really get super granular, especially if you're leasing a farm. A lot of people will pay board just to the owner and then training um, to the professional. So depending on how your business is set up, you know, that's really up to you. But I found it and I think we have found it in our business most effective to divide that out and really pinpoint the comfortable amount of clients for us to have or stalls to have filled and then to know that's how many horses we need to have on the property to meet our bottom line. 
So that is how we have worked through our business plans. And it's a living document. It's always changing. We're always updating it. We're always talking about it for us because become more of a conversation than an actual document. But I do think it's a really good guide. It really makes us pay attention to the details and it's really healthy to look at the overall health of your business and be able to pinpoint, you know, what is performing and what's working and and what's not. So you can implement changes and, and not be surprised by any of it. So I hope that overview kind of helps some of the, you know, it can be a little scary diving in and doing that. But that's how we've done it. We've had really good luck with it. And if I could give any advice at all, it would be to not assume that your business doesn't need it because it does and it's not too bad. So just do it. The second thing that we've had a lot of questions about, and it seems pretty normal, I guess, this time of year, is just about scheduling and kind of how we go about scheduling different things for our business and for our clients and horses and goals and how we we coordinate and manage all of that. So the first step that we always take with our scheduling is just to discuss the goals and objectives for the clients and or the horses. So that might be a client horse combination. It might be just a client. It might be just a horse, depending on the case. So we sit down and we we kind of pound that out and we talk about goals. And we're really big on like we kind of continuously talk about it. We don't ever really let that conversation die. But that's definitely the first place you want to start is making sure that everybody is on the same page and realistic with what the expectation is. I personally take the approach of just working backwards from that goal. So once we kind of pinpoint a realistic one, then we take a look at what our proposed annual schedule is. And we start to pick out for that particular client and horse what the best agenda will be for them. One thing that I can say that I didn't really do initially when I started my business, but I definitely do now before I do any kind of scheduling is I get the general consensus from my clients. Do they have big vacations planned the following year? You know, when are their kids graduating from school? When is back to school? Like, let's take into account the holidays. And then for us, what has become really important I call them kind of geographical like hurdles. But for us, we have a smoke season now and it's really hard for us to ride. We've always kind of done a built-in break towards the end of the year. I would say basically right after Thanksgiving and kind of before Christmas. We give the horses a week or two off if they need any vet attention or performance maintenance. They get it then. They get a couple weeks off and then they gear up to head out to their first competition We've actually shifted that now because we totally have a smoke season out here in Southern Oregon. And so our break happens in August. Like every year now, we're just planning August as kind of a down month. And so we try to get a lot of our clinics and competitions in earlier in the year. And then we're really going to start focusing on just kind of continuing education events at the end of the year. For us, we're in a unique position. We don't really have a lot of people who are what I would call like point chasing We don't have anybody doing medal finals next year or anything like that. So we're afforded a little bit more of a luxury. But if you do live in a a place that has something like a smoke factor, it's really important to just understand what that looks like, how that can negatively impact your business and then deal with it. So I try now to really just blow out like all of that stuff and get that down and understand what my client schedules are to the best of my ability. So that allows me to select competitions and clinics that will have the best, you know, barn turnout. 
So that's usually what I do. I kind of consider it a block schedule. I don't love going to long shows that are further away for one week. We try to do two or three weeks and um, we have a lot of young horses. So that works really well for us. Obviously, everyone is totally different and you'll find your jam and how you schedule. But that's just our approach to it. We find that it works uh, really well for us. We try to balance competitions with different clinics and continuing education events. I think it's really healthy to keep those in there as well throughout the year. So that's how we do it. And the last thing with all of this is, you know, But schedules are fluid and yeah, and we try to be really transparent with our clients and inflation is a big thing this year. So if you are going to be increasing your prices or anything like that, like letting them know, because that's a complaint we've gotten from people who have moved from other barns over the many years that we've all been in business is, you know, just kind of like hidden prices and things like that. So just being upfront with those and letting them know that also expecting that a lot of different vendors and service providers are most likely going to be increasing their prices as well as everything is just seems to be going up. So yeah, just keep that conversation open and roll with the punches and hopefully we'll have a blitzball 2022 where we can all be out competing and learning together. And that wraps this up. We're going to do a little Q&A in our Instagram stories. So stay posted for that. Feel free to write us in any questions you may have. And then tune in next week. On our next episode, we're going to have Natalie Sullivan back with an awesome episode talking about winter equine nutrition. So we will catch you guys in the next episode of The Leading Rain. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Leading Rain. We hope you loved it, and we can't wait for you to hear next week's episode. But until then, happy trails.